Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee, and today we are going to tackle one of those topics people tend to avoid. Um, there's commercials all over all over TV and, and magazines about it, but it's something that needs to be talked about, and we're also going to talk about one of my favorite topics, and that is maintaining and increasing the intimacy in your relationship. So I am going to let my guest tell you a little bit about him, a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, my, my guest is Michael Russer, and Michael, it's great to have you with me today. You want to kind of just um, introduce yourself and, and tell the listeners a little bit about what we're going to discuss and why this is an important topic for you. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Nikki. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, I've got a rather unusual situation. I'm in um, probably the world's most unusual intimacy expert in the sense that I am fully impotent. I'm a prostate cancer survivor that was rendered fully impotent as a result of the uh, treatments. And this is not an uncommon occurrence for that particular um, uh, physical condition. And uh, what, what made it particularly poignant was that the, I, I was diagnosed two months after I ended a 26-year marriage where the last 11 or so years, we were effectively roommates. We were celibate. And um, my wife had thrown herself into raising the kids, and I threw myself into my career. And uh, we were cordial, we were polite and respectful to each other, and we stayed together for the purpose of raising the kids. Um, however, there was no intimacy of any kind. And so two months after that, I am diagnosed with prostate cancer, and in my family, cancer of any kind is very serious. It's usually fatal. And I lost five, other, five out of five other members of my immediate family to various forms of cancer. So I take it seriously. And I opted to have my prostate removed uh, immediately. And despite the fact that the, that the biopsy came back rather mild, well, my intuition, this, <laughs> my intuition proved to be correct. It was very aggressive and about ready to metastasize. So I... I, uh, I had it out and had to go through radiation. I technically still have the cancer, though it seems to be under control at this moment. And, uh, but the, the real irony was is that I waited until uh, I uh, uh, you know, separated from my, my wife to explore the possibility of having a new relationship, which would have been the first one in 30 years. And now I find myself completely clinically impotent, i.e. not able to, quote unquote, perform in the traditional way that we think of in terms of uh, sexual performance. And uh, to say that I went through the, the four stages of loss is putting it mildly. And that usually starts out with disbelief 
and which I had plenty of. Then there's anger. I had plenty of that too, Nikki. I was very angry, primarily at myself, for just allowing myself to get in this situation, which I really had no control over. But I, you know, that's what happens, especially with a lot of men. We tend to get angry about those things. And then the third stage is you either go into depression or negotiation. And uh, I'm not by nature very much of a depressive person, so I tried negotiation. And that didn't go very far. It's just, oh, maybe if I do this and maybe if I do that. Well, I finally got to the point with the help of my life mate, who I had subsequently met a year later, of acceptance, accepting the isness of it. And in that process opened up a world of such extraordinary emotional, physical, and even spiritual intimacy between us that I still shake my head as to how is this even possible. And I just would like to share with the listeners that um, my partner and I typically make love two to four hours at a time. She will climax anywhere from seven to nine times, occasionally 13 times, and she's postmenopausal. Never had that kind of experience before, and in fact had had uh, had the typical dryness that comes with menopause, and they found intercourse to be very painful. And uh, I we don't use we don't use toys, we don't use drugs, we don't use anything. Uh, we just learned. I should say I learned as a result, and actually thank uh, in, in a sense thanking the uh, the ED. Uh, being grateful for it because it allowed me to slow down and match my partner's uh, response profile much, much more closely than I've ever been with another woman. And as a result, we have this kind of experience. And what's so interesting, Nikki, is that it only keeps getting better. It doesn't diminish, whereas typically in a lot of relationships, and I'm sure you run into this, is that you know, in the beginning, oh my God, it's always wonderful. It's great. And it's this and it's that. And, but after a while, it starts to wane a bit and become a little bit routine and maybe not quite as exciting or as deep. And uh, it's quite the opposite for us. It just keeps getting better. And we're going on two years now of being together. And, um, uh, it's, I, I just keep shaking my head. How is this even possible? There's, well, there's so many people never, well, first they, they confuse sex and intimacy. They think it's the same thing, which it's not. Right. Yes. And, and then they, they don't realize just how awesome intimacy can be. Even, even when you get a little taste of it, I, mm-hmm. I think it becomes, I, I hate the word addictive, but I mean, it, it becomes something you're like, I got to find out more about this. You know, I got to do yes. more of how how can I how can this be even better you know kind of thing and that's that's what you're talking about and the thing is you can keep finding ways to make it better and, and increase your time together and 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 this sort of thing it just so many people get I guess uh, they kind of get bogged down with only thinking about um, intercourse and they just they don't look at all of the other options of what can be done. And like you said, you, you sort of got to the point where you had, you had no choice, and it's like, okay, there's got to be a way to have an intimacy with another person. How do I do it? You know, what what yes. you know, yes. and You know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about this before, but I just thought about it. There's so many – the situation you're talking about with your wife is not that unusual. 
I, I've no, not at all. Far, not at all. Far too many people that have that situation going on, and they just they just accept it. They're like, there's just nothing I can do. A lot of them are, are the same thing. They're going to stick around for the kids and this sort of thing. But I mean. And, and sex is not the only thing in a relationship. It should not be the only thing in a relationship, I guess I should say. But it, that intimacy with your partner is something you need to have a healthy relationship. You know, and I think yeah. one thing to do is even, even if you're in a relationship and the person for some reason could be medical or, or could be any number of other things, doesn't have interest in maybe intercourse at this time, Still find ways to maintain the intimacy with your partner. Otherwise, you're going to lose a whole lot more over time with the person. So I think there's a lot of things that, that we're going to discuss um, today that people can see whether whether they're dealing with ED, which, like you said, that's not that in, uncommon a situation for people. If if it was uncommon, we would not see commercials all the time. You know, there's commercials right. everywhere about it. So. There's a lot of things we're going to discuss that, like I said, no matter what the person's situation could be helpful now or in the future. You never know what's going to happen with relationships over the long term. So Yeah, and if, if I could just for a second just define what I mean by intimacy because, um, as you said in the beginning, a lot of people think intimacy is just sex, and I don't see it that way at all. Uh, I've come to realize that intimacy um, – really means deep abiding connection right and uh that happens primarily first and it's in the foundation what i found is that it requires a foundation of strong emotional intimacy if you want to really experience extraordinary physical intimacy you can't have one without the other and right. uh, I, I don't care how great the sex is in the beginning it will not last if you don't have that foundation of deep abiding connection at the emotional level and um and and then of course it, it, that that uh, that leads to the physical intimacy and then even spiritual intimacy which my partner and i experience on a regular basis very profoundly uh, which is uh, kind of totally unexpected and very mind-blowing um so it's yeah so i because, you know, it's funny because I, I'm a speaker and I, I remember my last uh, speech uh, it was actually to a Mensa group out of L.A. And so here are these people that are, you know, usually in their head, right, right. <laughs> a lot. And uh, so I asked the, the men in the audience, I said, so when I use the term intimacy, what comes to mind for you? And their response was not too surprising. Most of the men said, well, sex, of course. I says, all right, now let's ask the women. I says, when I use the term intimacy, what comes to mind? She says, oh, cuddling and kissing and stroking and, you know, just hugging and, and uh, oh, yeah, well, the sex too, but all those other things. I mean, that's what I think. And so, you know, so men and women have typically a very different idea of what intimacy is. And so to bring everybody on the same page, I would say, all right, so let's, let's look at the way that I see it, and that served me very well, and as I'm just sharing my story, but I see it as connection. And um, you can't connect from your head. The only way you can, two people can connect, truly connect as human beings, is from the heart. Yet we live in a society that conspires against that, because our drug of choice today is called distraction. And it's, it's the 20, 21st century version of Soma from Brave New World. And uh, we do everything and anything we can 
to not feel. And if that happens, then you're not going to connect, which means you're not going to experience true intimacy. So I, I think it, it's helpful to create a, a framework or a context, at least for this discussion, you know, about what, you know, my, how my partner and I see intimacy in, in terms of connection. It's, it's uh, the physical side is just one piece of it. There's so much more. Yeah, that's true. Well, and, and you have to make yourself vulnerable. And, and yes. you have to actually surrender to the other person. The thing is, if you don't, you're not letting them in, you know. And right. when, well, one, one, of the, one of my favorite courses in my, my coaching training was on intimacy. And uh, it, the first thing she did at the very beginning, I've mentioned this more than once on the show, is break the word down to into me see. You're right. actually letting that person into you in in so many different ways like you said physically emotionally mentally the whole works you're letting that person in and the thing is if a person doesn't ever do that with a with a partner they are not going to find the intimacy you've got it it just like i said once once you start to discover that there's more than just sex it's amazing you know and and it becomes like i said it becomes the thing that you've got to find out more and more Right. So I, I do have a question. I was reading over your bio last night. Yeah. And and if all of this had never happened with with the cancer and ED and all that, do you think you would have been motivated or even realized that the intimacy was missing from your life? Well, I knew that the intimacy was missing from my life. What I didn't understand is why. And it it really this whole process started two months prior to my, to my diagnosis, it really started with a very conscious decision to start living my life heart open. And, and by heart open, I mean, take the barriers down, take the protection down, be totally authentic and vulnerable. For the first time in my life since I was probably, I don't know, six months old, a year old, because I came into the world that way. And... So I, you know, I went through years of therapy. I hired coaches. I uh, I was on Zoloft, which is an anti, a very powerful antidepressant for um, for seven years, thinking that somehow I, you know, I, I I didn't know what was bothering me. I didn't know. I would fly into fits of rage, not directed at any person, uh, but I did punch out a few walls in my day. I uh, it was and and I. In retrospect, I understand what it was. It was my heart crying out. You know, you're burying me. You're suffocating me, and hence you're suffocating yourself. Yet I didn't have the insight to see that. And through a very in- interesting kind of synchronicity, I, I, uh, I knew something was going to give, and I waited until our youngest went off to college, and I pulled the trigger. And the trigger I pulled was, oh, I'm going to get a divorce. No, that was just a small part of it. It's I refuse to live shut down from this point on. It was like I drew a line in the sand. And, you know, keep in mind that my previous career, very successful career, was that of an international speaker. So I'm very gregarious, you know, articulate, and, and uh, I can be humorous. I can do all those things that on the surface appear to be Oh, he's just like a really nice guy, and he's very, you know, uh, uh, engaging and all that. 
Yet inside, I can assure you, I was very shut down. And so all those things that people saw was a bit of a mask. And I chose to take that mask off. And it was, that was the first step that then led to, to the experience that I have now. So to answer your question, um, I knew that something was really wrong. And I knew it for most of my life. I just didn't know what it was, nor did most of the professionals I hired. They tried to medicate it or they tried to talk around it. And it was very simple. If somebody had just come to me like this one person finally did and said, Michael, you are shut down. You are, you buried your heart. And I mean, it almost brings me to tears thinking about that moment when I realized what it was. It was so simple. It was really very, very simple. And so in that opening, that prepared me to really go on the rest of the journey. Now, in terms of physical intimacy, let's say I had done that, and, but I didn't have the cancer. Would I have experienced the level uh, and the resulting ED? Would I have experienced the kind of physical intimacy that I am now? I don't know. I doubt it because men, the way men are built, when we get hard, um, it's, there's this biological imperative that's just screaming in our brains that says, uh, I'm ready and I want to use it and I want to use it now. And I may be the most open-hearted person on the planet, but that biological imperative is there. And so I think it was the combination of both. Uh, certainly the fundamental condition that underlies all of this was my choice from that point on, Nikki, to live heart open. And it's something I, I, uh, I work on and experience every day. But the, the next phase of that, which allowed me to experience levels of emotional and physical intimacy, I didn't think were even physically possible, even right. in the wildest imaginings, whether you're working, you know, everything's working properly or not. Um, I don't think would have happened that that kind of experience would have happened um, and insights would have occurred without that short circuit of my ED. Now, does this mean, Oh God, you know, now everybody's got to have ED in order to experience this. No, because what this did is it allowed me to experience it, integrate it and then assimilate it. And then now be able to share it with people in a way that they don't have to go through the same trauma I did. Right. Uh, they can benefit from the wisdom, but I had to go through it in order to experience and, and, and almost from a standpoint of disbelief of saying, oh, my God, how is this possible? And here's the other thing is that when, when my partner and I got to the point after establishing a deep emotional connection, we decided to, to take it to the next step. And so you can imagine my my, um, this is the first woman that I was serious about in 30 years other than my wife. So you can imagine me having that conversation, uh, with her, um, saying, sweetie, and I'm pointing down to my crotch. This isn't happening. And it may never happen. I said, are you willing to explore other ways of being intimate? You see, you can imagine from a male standpoint, the woman looking at her left wrist saying, oh my, Look at the time. I've got to go. Hey, I'll be in touch. 
you know, that, that point of, you know, talk about being vulnerable and right. risking. Um, but I just, I didn't know any other way of being at that point because what am I going to do? I can't fake it. You know, I mean, it is what it is. Right. And so being who she is, she said, of course, and she had never been with a man that, um, had erectile dysfunction of any kind. And so what ensued from that was just, just amazing. And, um, so I think the open hearted, um, space, you know, created, created the environment for us to, to, to really explore what was possible on the emotional, physical, and spiritual level that, that otherwise wouldn't have happened. And, uh, so that created the, the, the space for it and the ED, um, essentially, uh, eliminated the burden, so to speak, <laughs> of feeling like this, this incredible urge. I got to use it now. Um, you know, what's so interesting that was part of your motivator. That was part of the motivation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there is one drug that does work, but it's, uh, you have to have a direct penile injection. It's very expensive. It's not pleasant. And, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, it's called the uh, Servaject or something like that, I think. And, um, it's not to be used over and over again. I mean, this is, you know, otherwise your penis ends up like a pin cushion, but, um, we did use it just for the stamp after we were intimate for a while and having just unbelievable experiences, decided to try it. And so we had intercourse. It was very beautiful, but here's where it gets really interesting. Afterwards, we look at each other while still in bed and we both knew without saying a word that as wonderful as that was, it didn't even begin to compare to what we had previously experienced. And so I've opted to never, ever even bother with the drugs anymore of any kind. And uh, it took me about four months to learn how to climax being completely flaccid. A lot of men, in fact, a lot of, a lot of men and women think that if you don't have a prostate or you can't get hard, you can't climax. It's quite the opposite. Uh, actually, because I have no off switch anymore, the climaxes are far longer and far more intense. And it, but it took, it took a while to, get, to learn how to do it. I had to rewire my brain a little bit. But what was interesting is that, you know, in, if, if I were hard and I wasn't able to climax, I would be climbing the walls out of frustration. I felt zero frustration because my primary fulfillment came from giving to her instead of the other way around. So it's an entirely different experience. And a lot of people don't realize, for men, ejaculation and orgasm are two very separate things. Yes. A lot of people just assume it's all one thing, and it's not. No. And the thing is, you, you can't actually have one without the other, and you yes. can definitely prolong, I guess prolong is the right word, <laughs> prolong the, you know, the, the, the time with your partner because, you know, you can you can have multiple or men can have multiple orgasms. They have to learn how to yes. do it, but they can do it too. Yes. You know, yes. and that's I, I think I mentioned there's there's one of my my friends and a client that we've worked together on quite a few books, and she's a, a sexologist with male intimacy. I mean, uh, male sexuality, and so I've 
I've gone through a lot of the stuff that she's written about it, and it's a fascinating process, but it is something you have to learn, and, and you know, both partners have to say, okay, let's do this, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, there, there's a lot of things. So many people just assume that men and sex is easy, you know. There's a yeah. lot that goes into male sexuality that a lot of people never even consider. Oh, see, boy, that's for sure. all of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's – um... Yeah, there's quite a bit, and and I, I and you know what's so interesting is that we literally had um, one of the top urologists in the world. He's a urologist for a very famous celebrity, and my co-author knows him personally. And when she told him my story, you know what his response was? Mm-mm. Impossible. In fact, he got angry. He says, you cannot, a man cannot have mind-blowing sex if he can't be hard. Mm. I think maybe he yeah. didn't know quite as much as he thinks he does. <laughs> so. Well, I think, I think what it was part of, he, he, he um, this celebrity, he, he, um, he's the doctor for, is a very famous radio personality. And uh, I think what he was afraid of is I was going to get on the radio and trash uh, my doctor for somehow not, you know, messing me up, right, quote-unquote. And that wasn't the case at all. So I think he may have felt a little defensive. Uh, and, and, but the point is, is that even some of the most highly educated doctors don't understand that, that erection, ejaculation, and orgasm are really three different physiological processes that in normally functioning men happen to be coincident, but they are not necessarily so. That's right. They can all happen at the same time, but they definitely don't have to. Right. So, and I know that if I don't ask this question, listeners can be very upset with me. And then we've kind of yeah. touched on it a little bit, <clears throat> but since you mentioned it in your intro, we, we have to go back to this. Sure. So how is it possible to make love for hours? And I know a lot of people listening probably have that question. <laughs> yeah, they probably do. Well, okay, and then the, the typical response is this. When women first hear this, they're going, now tell me why that's fun again. And uh, because intercourse would not be fun over that period of time. Yeah. And, um, and men are thinking, there's nobody that can keep it hard that long unless you overdose on Viagra. And even if you do, man, I, that's exhausting, which is true. Uh, traditional intercourse is by definition depletive. Both partners tend to be exhausted, especially the man. And so you get your 15 minute uh, of, uh, you know, uh, grunting, you know, 15 minutes of you know, heavy breathing, the final grunt, roll over and snore. Meanwhile, she's going, uh, excuse me. <laughs> and, and, the, or, you know, or, or uh, okay, I did my duty. Um, I'm going to go to sleep too. Where when my partner and I, when we make love, um, for two to four hours, usually that's a minimum. And we plan it. First of all, you're, you're probably wondering, well, how does that work? Uh, first of all, we plan it. So we, we actually schedule it. Now, some people might be thinking, well, that's not very, that's not very sexy or, or, you know, spontaneous. Well, let me tell you, it's, it's amazing what can happen uh, because you go in there with an intention and you're not just driven by, you know, visceral, quote-unquote, needs that usually ends up in a quickie that uh, uh, one or both parties 
usually find less than satisfying. So we plan our time together like that. And we're both very busy business people and entrepreneurs. We each have our own careers. So we, you know, we plan it and we usually start out by taking a shower together and we will take the time to scrub each other down, not sensually, but just literally to scrub each other down with a loofah. And, uh, and a loofah, uh, for those who are not familiar with that, is it's a form of a natural cellulose sponge from, a very, from the loofah plant. And it looks like a marine sponge, but it's not. And it's a wonderful feeling on the body. So you think of it as kind of like preening almost a little bit, like you're, you're taking care of your partner. And right. my rule is ladies first always. So I always do it first for her. Everything we do, I always do first for her. And so we, we scrub each other down. And that might be a half hour in the shower, right, doing that. And, um, and, uh, and we, you know, we, we'd be careful not to get to each other so aroused that we you know, somehow attack each other in, in the shower, which is less of a problem given that I, can't, I cannot get hard no matter how excited I am. So uh, we, we, go, we do that. Then we will uh, do mutual massage uh, I start with her. And again, this starts out as being very non-sensual. Um, what we do, what I, what, what we do for each other is basically we release the tension in our bodies and I'll start on her back and I, oh, and she, and then eventually go to her feet. And we even bought charts to, 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 to massage each other's uh, bottom of their, of their feet, of our feet. And, and the same with the palm of our hands. And in the process of doing that, I might spend a good half hour, 45 minutes just on her. Um, in the process of doing that, what happens is several things. The tension relieves. She gets out of her head and becomes fully present, which is something I talk a lot about. You know, you want to remove the word performance from the bedroom. It has no business being there. And replace it with the word presence. Fully present. Mentally, emotionally, and, and uh, from the heart. And so she starts becoming more present and she starts getting warmed up, so to speak. Women take longer to get warmed up. You know, guys who are functioning properly, they're ready in like four seconds. Um, but women, women are, you know, take longer, thank God. You know, and I say thank God and I mean it because, oh my gosh, what, a, what an experience. And I'm getting immense pleasure out of just relaxing her and, and taking the tension out of her body. And, and eventually it gets to the point where it becomes a little more uh, sensual uh, in terms of the massage. And then uh, it, it'll eventually get down to um, uh, oral sex, and, which is the primary way that we, we, uh, we stimulate each other. And uh, the first time we did this, so many insights came to me. First of all, we are getting incredibly present through this kind of ritual that we do every time. And, and often we'll put on some very soothing music, we'll light candles and that kind of thing. So, you know, after about an hour of, well, prep, what I call uh, prep, and then we go into what I call intimacy play versus foreplay. Foreplay is kind of like, you know, it sounds a little more groping-ish. Intimacy play is you're very present. Yeah, yeah, grope-ish, yeah. Yeah, intimacy play is, is much more present. You're using your intuition. You're listening to the other person's body. You're listening to their breathing. You're so present for them. 
and so that so that very subtle signals and in the process of doing that i learned that her for whatever reason her left kneecap was an extraordinary erogenous zone so if i you know if i stimulated her left kneecap of all things with my tongue it would cause her to swoon and uh, and uh, the same thing with doing certain things with the toes and the hands and all that. So by this time she's ready and, um, we'll then I'll start performing oral sex. Now, one of the thing about men is that because harder and faster works for us, we often think, and that was certainly the case for me until my partner told me otherwise that that's the way it works for women. So, uh, it's, it's, it's not uncommon for a man who's performing oral sex on his partner to go into what I call Captain Crunch and Munch mode. And, uh, and that doesn't work for most women, uh, I have found. And so um, my partner shared with me, and this is another important part of, of this kind of intimacy, being willing and open and risking sharing with your partner what really works for you. So she told me, and she literally showed me on the palm of her hand using her finger as if it was my tongue. And like, okay, I got it. So as she gets close to climax, which was very evident because her, her whole body just tenses, um, um, my brain, my male brain starts screaming, she's getting close, harder, faster, harder, faster. Yet because of my presence, I was able to fight that off. And I just kept slow, soft, and easy. Not only did she climax so powerfully that um, we thought the windows were going to shatter, but <laughs> the, um, I, just, I, I then had another intuition. I said, you know, usually at that point, I'd go, okay, I did my job. All right, good job. But this time I said, you know what? I'm just going to keep going. Well, then she climaxed again, and then again, and then again, and it started out where she were, where every time we made love, uh, she would climax three to five times, um, which is beyond anything of my experience or hers. Now, after almost two years, the last time we made love, Nikki, she had 13 powerful climaxes. <laughs> and... And the only reason we stop, I can go all day. And the only reason we stop at that point is because she is so wanting to reciprocate by that point that it's almost overwhelming. And the other thing about this is, is that even after four hours of this kind of lovemaking where she is having multiple, multiple, multiple orgasms and then you know, and, 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 and all the, everything else that we do, we actually have more energy after we're done than when we start. So it's generative lovemaking rather than depletive, which is what typically happens during intercourse. It's, it's a complete turnaround from what we are either of our experiences. Very true. Very, very energizing. Yes. Very true. So, you know, like I said, so many people, they just, they don't understand what's possible. So right. if, if you could sum it up, say, say an elevator pitch, okay? Say mm -hmm. you had 45 seconds 
to tell mm-hmm. somebody why they should make the effort to learn how to be more intimate with their partner, what would you tell them? Well, it would depend on whether they're a man or a woman. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. How about, how about that's two okay. elevator pitches then. <laughs> yeah, two elevator pitches. If, um, if I was speaking to a man, I would say if you want to have the most mind-blowing sexual experience you've ever even thought was possible and never be tired, never have to worry about performance anxiety again, whether you, you have premature ejaculation or, or have trouble getting up from time to time, um, this is something you want to explore. Now, I can tell you from a male standpoint, that's going to get their attention. Well, that's the um, once, once you can get the whole performance mentality out of your head, yes. it opens so many possibilities, and you've taken so much pressure off of yourself. That's you know, right. It's that whole mentality of I have to perform, I have to perform. And that's like I was, yes. I was watching some talk show the other day, and this woman says, um, if, if she hadn't come, he hadn't done his job. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. <laughs> you know, you got to no. take responsibility for yourself here, people. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and you know what's really interesting? Women have performance anxiety, too. And she expressed it very well. She said, you know, if he doesn't come, then, then uh, you know, I don't feel like he did his job. Um, or, or a lot of women would think, you know, God, I, I just I want him to feel good that he can do this for me. So that's right. a form of performance anxiety. Yeah. And so every now and then, because now, um, you know, my partner has a lot on her plate um, in, in her career and everything else. And so sometimes I will notice that, you know, she'll get to a point plateau and then back off. And then eventually she says, oh, sweetie, I just don't know if it's going to happen this time. I said, Hey, I'll look up <laughs> and I'll say, are you enjoying this? She says, Oh my God, I'm loving it. I said, exactly. then don't worry about it. I said, don't worry about climaxing. Don't worry about any of that because I can go all day and I'm just loving this. I'm loving giving this to you. So well, just relax. It's a journey, not just a destination yes. of an orgasm. No. I, it's what I call goalless lovemaking. You don't go in there with the goal. And so typically when I tell her this, in fact, every single time that I've ever had to tell her this, usually within 10 seconds, she has a mind-blowing climax. <laughs> and it's because she had to become more present. And that was my way of helping her become more present. Just receive. Just well, gets, receive. Her mind gets out of the way. And she just yes. gets Mind gets out of the way, and the you know uh, the the rest just happens naturally. But you know you bring up a really good point. Um, we 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 go into this kind of a process, especially you know with somebody new. Then you think, oh, you know, the goal is no. There's no goal other than to be fully present for each other. That is the most you can ever hope for, and what comes out of that is usually something that will blow your mind. And, but the point is, is don't go in there, well, I want to blow her mind, or I want to do this. No, because then right. you're not present by definition. You have an objective. You have an agenda. And so this is what we call goalless lovemaking and uh, removing pr- uh, performance from the bedroom or replacing it with the word presence and really being present. And, giving, and presence is 
not only in the giving, but it's also in the receiving. Right. And so be fully present to receive, be fully present to give. And when well, two people... That's part of the surrendering, too. Surrender to yes. giving and receiving pleasure. A lot of people won't let themselves receive pleasure for various reasons. Right. That's, that's right. a whole conversation in itself. <laughs> but, that's, uh, another whole, that's another whole show. That's right. Easily, easily. Yeah. And open, honest communication is something I talk about on the show often, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you mentioned that as far as, you know, saying what you want, what you need, what works, this sort of thing. And <laughs> the thing is, say it in a positive way. Don't say, no, yes. that's wrong, do this. You know, no. you've you got to find a more positive way to say it. And, and two, I mean, if, if the partner's not doing something the way you'd like to, show them what you want. You know, there's nothing yes. wrong with that. Here again, oh, do it no. in a positive way. But, um, you know, each of us knows, well, each of us, should know our body, ourselves, and what we want, what we need, and, and what works for us. And so if we can share that with our partner and encourage them to open up and share with us. Because no matter whether you've been with one person or you've been with 100 people, every single person is different. So what worked for that's somebody right. else probably isn't going to be exactly the same. Like the left kneecap, that's, right. that's probably not going to work for every woman. No, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> it surprised the hell out of me. I says, are you sure? She <laughs> well, says, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Well, and I, one, one of my books, actually it's a report, um, it's Kissing Head to Toe, and I call it The Art of Kissing from Head to Toe. And I, I start with the top of the head and go all the way down to the toes and just give tips and ideas for places to kiss and to work any other way you may want to, you know, right. but from head to toe and, you know, different areas and then different ways to stimulate each of those areas and emphasize that, that there are erogenous zones all over the body. Enjoy finding them on your partner and yourself. You know, absolutely. You never know what you're going to find where. <laughs> you know, you, you know and, I, I, and paying attention, and you mentioned that too. Pay attention to yes. the responses of your partner. You yes. know, not not only the sounds they're making, but but you know, you, you can tell by the way they move their body if they're enjoying yes. it. So watch yes. and listen to how your partner responds, and then when it's your turn, you know, reciprocate. Let them know what works and what. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and the more present you are, the more that listening automatic, automatically happens. It just happens. You, 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 you're very, that's the very definition of being present. You're being aware. And now the, the thing about, you know, about letting your partner know, what I have found is that um, many women are reluctant to be honest with their right. man. And the reason I think that is, is that a, they don't want to hurt their feelings. And, um, and that's, and, and, and in a sense, that's almost like, uh, you know, feeling, oh, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. You might leave me. Right. I actually was on a, uh, another show and the host was female. She was a, she was a therapist of some kind and, uh, she was in her thirties and we were talking about her current relationship, which was just amazing. I said, well, let me ask you, I says, would you, share what do you feel about sharing with your partner what works what doesn't she goes hmm you know what that immediately put me back into the caveman era that you know he's the provider i'm the this and and he might leave me i said she said oh hang on hang on okay yeah i can see that so it's interesting how that that initial oh i'm afraid you know i'm going to hurt his feelings or which equates to i might he might abandon me um 
the, and, and that kind of explains this statistic that was done, research done out of uh, the UK, university somewhere in the UK, that something like, uh, I think it was 87% of women vocalize uh, during intercourse because uh, A, they want to hurry the guy along and B, they don't want to hurt his feelings. And uh, so it's, you know, so I, I, I tell women especially, I says, look, it's incumbent upon you to be vulnerable enough to share with him what really works and a way to do that without hurting his feelings, because being a male, I kind of know what would be, you know, uh, be devastating versus what would be helpful is to go something like this. You know, sweetie, what we do together is just amazing. You know, how would you like to take it to the next level? Well, you say that to a guy, their ears are going to perk up, right? And so let me share with you what just will send me over the edge more than you can even imagine. I mean, you're doing an awesome job now, but would you be willing to explore something even further? And, that, you know, you can just see the guy going, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and by doing it that way, you are not challenging his abilities as a lover. You're inviting him to, a, to an even greater experience because implicit in that is, by doing this, you're going to release the tigress in me, and, and and you don't have to explain what that means to any man. You know, that's just a <laughs> that's resounding, all right, let's go. <laughs> so there's ways to do it without without trashing your guy. Well, and I'd like to try something new. That that seems to work for most guys, too. Oh, you know? oh yes, 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 yeah. yes. Well, that's, that's yeah, what definitely. I think. You know, put it out there, but do it in a positive way. Don't Don't yes. start with... I don't like it that way. Do it this way, you know. Just yeah, be, yeah. No, that that'll. And the thing is, too, you might want to bring it up when you're not in bed because there's mm-hmm. less pressure at that point, you know. Or you know, and even say, "I'd like to try something new tonight," or yep. "Next time we're together, let's let's try let's shake it up a little bit," or something, you know. And even in nice little text, you know, it's, it's amazing what those kind of things can do for you. Oh, so, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, and as far as the, the planning ahead thing, I have no issues with that, you know, because especially the busier people are and the more things there are going on in life, you know, spontaneous may not always work. You may need to plan and set aside time, and, and then you've got time to set the atmosphere and the mood and, mm-hmm. you know, so. To, and the you know. intention, because you're going in there with an intention. Um, what I've realized is that the times that uh, in my marriage when we had uh, spontaneous uh, sex, it was not very present. It was pretty um, physical, and that was right. about it. And right. it was about release. It was about immediate release. That's not what we're talking about here. Now, the release is unbelievable, but that's not the purpose. And this is what I think it is, is hard for a lot of men and women to get their head wrapped around, that if you don't make release your, your objective or goal, uh, you're, you're much more likely to have a much more profound experience of release uh, by, doing, by, uh, by, by not making it the objective. And so with, with quote-unquote spontaneous, uh, amorous uh, encounters, well, the problem is, is that we're usually driven in those cases by our uh, biological and cultural imperative, and, and uh, we, it's, it's going to be more difficult, I think, to be more conscious and more present in those moments. And without the presence, 
you simply will not be able to ex- ex- experience the levels of extraordinary emotional, physical, even spiritual intimacy we're talking about here. It's true. <clears throat> what do you think about? Because uh, I, I know some of, some of the couples I've talked to that that they've just they've let the sex intimacy, all of that, just kind of disappear from their relationship. Sometimes it's because of an illness, a very serious illness, and and like say say one or the other of the couple is is going through cancer treatment, and they just sex is just not on their mind at that point. You know, there's other things, and the body's going through so much. And it seems to me if if they go ahead and I mean there's so many things that your life is going to change in so many ways during during that kind of a time when you're you're going through the treatment and trying to maintain everything else and this kind of thing mm-hmm. that, that you may just kind of let let your physical side with your partner go, but it seems like part of that may be saying, you know, I understand that that this is just not you know it, priority in in for you right now but let's find ways and make a commitment to maintain at least the intimacy between the two of us even even if it's just um you know make sure that that you spend some time just holding your partner every night before you yes you know do something to keep that physical and emotional connection yes now now once the treatment's over and once everything's back to normal well as normal as, as you know life ever is you know then then everything should, you should get back to to your normal way of doing things but find some ways and and i mean verbalize to each other that that it's important for you to maintain that connection because that person needs that connection and that support yes. in so many ways and this is just one way that you can give that to your partner and maintain the intimacy between the two of you what do you think about that oh absolutely in fact um what you just articulated is what i share with people uh, how to start building emotional intimacy you start building emotional intimacy uh with the touching and the hand holding and the the the, the cuddling and you know uh, if due to illness maybe a full uh, physical intimacy is not possible at that time or, or, or uh, wise, but that doesn't mean you can't experience levels of extraordinary physical intimacy in the sense of that deep, deep connection. I, w- I have a friend uh, in the Boston area who recently lost his wife to cancer, and he shared something with me that I think illustrates this so powerfully. He said, Michael... He said, I can honestly say that I've never felt more connected or more intimate with my wife than the last year she was alive. And due to her illness, I suspect they did not have a lot of, of uh, what we would consider traditional uh, physical intimacy. Yet he felt more connected, as I'm sure she did, than ever before in their marriage. And they were married like 30 years. So... So sometimes, yeah, I mean, but, you know, you need to be, you need to be very present for that person. And there's times where, you know, Jackie and I, um, you know, we'll just lay together and just cuddle. And, and that to me is part of that extraordinary intimacy experience. There there was a, a woman I talked to and I don't even remember where it was now, but, um, she she needed and wanted sex a lot more than her partner did, and mm-hmm. and she said there'd be times that she just really really wanted to have sex, and he's like, no, I'm just not in the mood, which it's kind of unusual for it to be turned around like that, but it happens, you know. And and so what 
and, and this kept happening over and over again, and she was getting so frustrated with him. And then, and then one day he suggested, he says, well, what if, and, and she would leave the room or, or whatever and, and masturbate, and she'd come back, you know. And he's like, well, what if I hold you while you masturbate? And she loved that, you know. Yeah. He, he wasn't in the mood for sex for various reasons, but they were still having that physical connection, you know. So, I mean, there's, there's so many ways. Get, get creative and just mm-hmm. say, just you haven't tried something before with your partner doesn't mean it won't work and won't help you to feel closer to each other. As long as that's you're both, right. <laughs> you know, make sure yeah. you're both the idea. Yeah, and and use your uh, you know trust your intuition. The more present you are for each other, the more your intuition will kick in and um, and guide you. Uh, my partner and I discovered so many incredible things that we didn't. Neither one of us knew even existed. Uh, and uh, that 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 only could have come to us because we were present. If we were, you know, primarily focused on just the physical side of release, then there's no way we would have come to these uh, insights and experiences. Very true. Very true. So, why don't you let the listeners know um, any any resources that you think might be helpful? Well, yeah, a great resource that was of tremendous help to me during this whole process is a book by Michael Brown called The Presence Process. And uh, I would get the latest version of Presence Process uh, revised. um, And this book is all about how to live in the moment. And uh, you see, we talked about, you know, distraction being the drug of choice for our society. It's because people don't want to feel. Well, they let me rephrase that. They don't want to feel bad things. They don't want to feel discomfort. They don't want to feel things that are painful. So, you know, thinking that, well, you know, if I distract myself, I don't have to feel those things. But what you're also cutting yourself off from is the full experience of life, the joy, the ecstasy, the all those other things. You can't have one without the other. Right. And so the presence process is all about how to be present, how to be in the moment, how to live in the now. And uh, he has a wonderful phrase there. It's, it's a fairly sizable book, but it, it can be distilled down to one sentence that comes from him, and that is, life's not about feeling better. It's about getting better at feeling. And so I strongly recommend that book to anybody who wants to experience life again very fully. And the way I look at it is that life is like a series of waves. Now, we can choose to ignore those waves or fight them, but you know who's going to win, right? Uh, And some of these waves are thrilling and exciting and wonderful, and some waves are scary as hell. But the thing is, is that they're all waves, and they will pass. If you're feeling ecstatic and euphoric and wonderful this moment, it will pass. If you're feeling miserable and depressed and this or that, or feeling things that you just prefer not to feel, it will also pass. But the key here, the key to everything we've been talking about today is the willingness to live again, which means the willingness to feel everything and not, um, 
succumb to the temptation to distract ourselves to oblivion and wonder why we feel so numb and disconnected. And so uh, that is a really, really good resource to help people with that process. Very good. Well, we are actually out of time, would you believe? No, I can't believe that. I know. Time always flies when you're talking about relationships. Oh, so I am hoping that the listeners got some great information today. Remember that after the show, it will be in the archive, and you can listen again anytime. And for additional information about um, a whole wealth of topics um, on relationships, intimacy, love, and sex, check my website, www.lovecoachjourney.com. And I will see you again next time on Ready for Love Radio.